So I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 78. And I'm going to speak to you for a few moments on the subject, they turn back in the day of battle. They turn back in the day of battle. Psalm 78 and verse number one says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generations to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, and they should make them known to their children, that the generations to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their hearts aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. And I notice verse number 9. It says, And the children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turn back in the day of battle. And let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Would you help us as we preach and as we listen? May our hearts be encouraged and stirred and blessed through this time together this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. They turned back in the day of battle. I could have named this cowards, quitters, and other critters. Because I think all of you will agree with me that anybody that quits on God is a critter. Amen. Some of you would know of Dr. Jack Hudson. Dr. Hudson was the pastor of Northside Baptist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Great preacher, was there for many years. He had a plaque on the wall in his office that said this. It said, the path of man is too dark. The cross of Christ is too glorious, and the heart of God is too grieved for me to quit now. I believe that it's always too early to quit. Amen? And I believe that as Christians, we ought to be committed and be faithful to whatever it is that God has called us to do. History deals harshly with quitters. This may well be known today as the generation of dropouts. I heard not too long ago that Washington State University offered a course entitled How to Quit, as if any of us need any encouragement or direction on how to quit. The, in the West Indies many years ago, there was an uprising among the people. And in the heat of the battle, one man waved a white flag, offered to surrender, and then broke away from the army and ran. His name was Daniel Scott. He was the brother of Sir Walter Scott. We don't hear much about him because of, of what he did. And when he, when he ran, his family literally disowned him back in England. When they spoke after that, they always referred to him as our other relative. And they never called him by name. When he died, they had a private funeral. They didn't invite anyone other than the immediate family. And they said the reason was because he died a coward. Someone said a coward is somebody who thinks in the time of crisis with his feet. He thinks with his feet. We today understand that God is looking for men and women who are committed to him, who are faithful, who are not cowards, who are not going to turn aside and, and who are not going to turn back. I remember my years of, of college and I had the privilege of going to 
Tennessee Temple in the day when it was a strong force for God. And there were many times in those years that I was there when things were difficult and there were times when finances were low. I, I was raised in a preacher's family and we had five of my siblings, four of my siblings, myself counted, five of us in college at one time. I, I thought, Brother Weaver, they should have named Phillips Hall. It should have been Shelling Hall instead of Phillips Hall, but I couldn't convince them to do that, though I felt like we paid for it. But there were times when we, we didn't have enough money to pay our school bill and, and we prayed and we trusted the Lord and God provided. And we learned not to quit and not to give up, but, but to keep going. Our text this morning speaks loudly and clearly to us of that subject, don't quit, don't give up. It says in verse 9, the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turn back in the day of battle. Now I want you to notice several things about these men. First of all, I want you to notice the military regiment. The military regiment, it says in verse 9 again, the children of Ephraim. Notice their background with me. Their father was a man that we all know of, Joseph. Ephraim was the second son of Joseph. He was born, as Genesis 41 says, before the years of famine came. So he was born, they had the seven years, remember, of, of plenty, and then they had the seven years of famine. He was born in the lap of luxury, and when the famine came because of Joseph's position second to Pharaoh, he was a young man who never had to struggle, hadn't, didn't have to go through the rough and tough times of life. He had all that he needed. Everything was provided for him, and maybe that's a little reason why he was, had, had this soft quirk in his character. Let me tell you something this morning. Flying in smooth air and riding in easy situations in life and serving in the smooth situations of life do not make great soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It takes the wind and it takes the buffeting and it takes the storms and it takes the trials and the difficult times of life to put some fiber into our life and to de develop us and to cause us to be the kind of men and women that God wants us to be. And evidently Ephraim did not have that. Deborah, Samuel and Joseph were also of the tribe of Ephraim. But other than those three, there's little claim to fame from the tribe of Ephraim. The Ephraimites had three strikes against them to begin with. In Joshua 16, verse 10, it says, And they drove not out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwelt among the Ephraimites unto this day. Again, in Judges chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, Jephthah testified against them and said, I and my people were at great strife with the children of Ammon. And when I called you, ye delivered me not out of their hands. And then you get over to Judges chapter 8 and verse 1. When Gideon went to confront the Midianites, he knew who to call to help him. And he knew who not to call to come and help him. He didn't ask the Ephraimites to help him because I think he was a little bit suspicious of their, of their record, a little suspicious of their character. He knew their battle record and he knew that they had been a bunch of quitters. In Judges 8 and verse 1 it says, And the men of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest us not, when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites, and they did chide him sharply? In other, in other words, they said, Why didn't you call us to help? Basically, he was saying to them, I didn't call you to help because I knew what you were like. I knew I couldn't count on you. I couldn't depend on you. It's kind of interesting, a quick, a quick survey in the book of Hosea talks about the Ephraimites several times. It says this, it says, Ephraim is joined to his idols, let him alone. Another verse says, Ephraim is a cake not yet turned. 
Ephraim is like a silly dove without heart. And another verse says, Ephraim feedeth on the wind. In other words, these were people who were not the kind of soldiers that you would want to be in your army and you would want to have defending you when you were going to war. And so, consequently, they were not called to help in the time of battle. They came, verse number 9 again says, and they turned back during the day of battle. Now, I want you to notice with me also their battle gear. Not only their history and background, but look at their battle gear. Look down at verse 9 again. The children of Ephraim being armed, it says, and carrying bows, turn back. So they are armed and they're carrying bows. They had their shields, they had their bows, they had their spears. They had been trained, they had been prepared for the war, for the battle that they were facing. And yet being armed and carrying bows, they turn back. Now, there's many analogies in that for you and for me. We who know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and we who are in a good Bible-believing and Bible-preaching church and a, a good Bible-preaching and teaching college, we have been armed and we are being armed to carry out the work of the Lord. And it is a tragedy when we are armed and prepared and we turn back in the day of battle. Of course, the Bible tells us as Christians we're to put on the whole armor of God. Amen. We're to take the armor and put it on and we dare not as Christians be undressed for a moment. The devil knows our weak spots and he knows where to attack us and he knows where to come after us. A pastor some years ago attended a conference that in the conference he heard some tremendous messages. He really got fired up for the Lord and on his way back he, he, he made this statement. He said, old devil, I've got you now. You'll never get me again. I'm on the top and I've got the victory. He was all excited, and in six weeks, he was out of the ministry. In six weeks, he fell into a trap of Satan and completely out of the ministry. You see, we as God's people have got to keep the armor on all the time. We must be on our guard all the time and understand that we can never get to the place where we can say, I've got it all under control now. I've got it all taken care of, and the devil will never get me now. We need to be on guard every single day of our life. Amen. In fact, what does the Bible say? Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And so we need to be on guard all the time. So we see their defensive battle gear. They had shields. They were armed. They were carrying bows. But they also had the offensive battle gear. We not only defend ourselves, but we also have to defeat the enemy. One of the problems with America today is we are still defending ourselves, but we're not doing what we ought to in some ways to defeat the enemy. We're defeating ISIS and we're defeating some of those on other, on other foreign countries and other grounds, but we're letting the enemy infiltrate our own country and defeat us from within. And we have to be on guard and we must be careful. We must not only defend, but we must defeat. Ephesians 6, 17 talks about us taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and using it skillfully. George Whitfield, the great preacher of Great Britain, was also used of God to bring revival to America. And one of his chief opponents was a man by the name of Thorpe. They said that Thorpe would gather together two or three wicked men with him, and they would set out to disrupt some of George Whitfield's meetings. They would have the meeting all set up and get ready and these guys would come in 
And before, the, before Whitfield would preach, they would get there early and the crowd's already gathering and they would get a pulpit off to the side and they would do the strange thing. They would take their Bible and they would just let it open and they would point their finger at a verse. They would read that verse and then they would preach a mock sermon and try to make fun of George Whitfield and try to disrupt what was going to take place. Two of Thorpe's men preceded Thorpe one particular day and then Thorpe got up to speak and his Bible fell open and he placed his finger on a word and a verse and they said he never spoke a single word because when he opened the Bible, put his finger on the verse, the verse that his finger landed on was, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. They said that he was so smitten with conviction, he literally ran from the crowd and later on he was genuinely converted and became a preacher of the gospel. Why? Because the Word of God is our offensive weapon and that Word of God can be used for the glory of God and our job is to unleash it and let it go and let it accomplish its purpose and fulfill its job. May we say with the songwriter, soldiers of Christ arise and put your armor on, strong in the strength which God supplies through His eternal Son. Leave no unguarded place, no weakness of the soul. Take every virtue, every grace and fortify the whole. So you see the military regiment. Secondly, I want you to notice the mutiny that was recorded. The mutiny is recorded again in verse 9. It says the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. Notice their crime with me. These men were soldiers. These were men who were trained to fight. These were men who were dressed like soldiers. They were the protectors of life. They were to be the protectors of the nation of Israel. They were trusted. And consequently, their crime is the greater because they had been prepared and they did not fulfill their responsibility. Jesus said, He that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes, for unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required and of him they will ask the more. You know, those of us who have been saved, and I have mentioned that I was raised in a preacher's family, I was saved at an early age. I was not quite seven years old, saved when I was six, six years old, just a, about six and a half, but saved as a, as a young child and raised in a preacher's family and got to go to a Christian college like you are today and then to be involved in the ministry for, for at, at the, our church 39 years. But the point is this, we who have been given much, I believe there's going to be much required of us. There's much required. Now, I understand that one of the struggles that we face today, my dad was a preacher. I'm a preacher. My son's a pastor. He's assistant pastor in, in uh, Rhode Island and getting ready to go to a church in Kansas City, Kansas. So he'll be third generation pastor. But one of the things we have to deal with is second generation and third generation Christianity. And sometimes when we've been raised in a, in a Christian home and raised in church, we have to be careful that we never get used to it, that it never becomes normal every day. In, in a sense it is, but it, it, it must never, we must never lose the wonder of what Christ Jesus has done for us. And we must never come to the point where it's just ho-hum, same thing. We've heard this. You remember what Peter said in, about the scoffers in the last day. They're, they're going to say, where's the promise of thy coming? We've heard this all of our life. And we have to be careful that we don't say, we've heard this all of our life. Is it real in my heart? There came a point in my life when my faith had to become my faith, not my dad's faith. 
My youngest brother, one time my dad asked him, he was just, I don't know, he must have been four or so, four or five years old. And dad asked him one day, said, John, when you die, do you know for sure he's going to you're going to heaven? John said, yes. He said, well, how do you know you're going to heaven? He said, because when the rapture takes place, I'm just going to grab hold of your legs and I'm going up with you, he said. Huh. He, there had to come a point in his life when dad's faith became his faith. There had to come a point in my life when, when my dad's faith became my faith. When my faith became my son's faith and my daughter's faith. You see, we have to make it our own and believe it and live it and understand it and be committed to it. These were soldiers that were prepared. Their crime was a cowardly act. They gave up. They quit. They turned back. Their names are forever etched in the hall of the infamous. In the United States to vacate our post in the time of war is punishable by death. The magnitude of the crimes of the Ephraimites is increased by the fact that they were armed and they were carrying bows. They were not caught by surprise. They were not caught suddenly. It was a coward who marched out on the field that day, faced the enemy, saw the fight and began the fight and then gave up and ran. They were cowards. The armor provided for the Christian soldier makes no provision for the backside. When we turn and run, there's no provision for us. Defection from Christian duty, whatever the reason, is a crime. It is high treason to the cause of Christ. It is a cowardly crime. It is a costly crime against the Christ of God. And then notice also the time of their crime. It says they were carrying arms and their bows and they turned back in the day of battle. You see, the day of battle was the time of supreme testing. The day of battle was the time when they were depended upon. The uniform that they wore and the weapon they carried and the battle drills that they had gone through did not make them a soldier. Only the tests of the battle, only the trials of the battle will reveal the metal and the real soldier that is in a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. Regardless of how well Ephra the Ephraimites marched, Regardless of how shiny their swords may be, regardless of how well and how accurate they could shoot the bows and the arrows, unless they could hold ranks and unless they could hit the mark under pressure, they were not good soldiers of Jesus Christ or soldiers in that day of Ephraim and of Israel. They were just playing a game. And unless we can be faithful in the midst of the battle, when the, I heard this quote many times, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Amen. Unless in the day of battle we can go, keep going. There is no winning without warring, and there is no triumph without trial, and there is no crown without conflict. Who is it that refuses to suffer for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ? We'll never reign with Him, because the Bible says if we suffer with Him, we shall also reign with Him. I like what Psalm 73, 26 says. It says, my flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There are times when we all fail. There are times when we all feel weak, but it's God who gives us the strength. And he's the one that helps us to get through and accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. You read the hall of the faithful in Hebrews chapter 11 and you read over and over and over of different things that men and women went through and the price that they paid. There were no cowards in that group. And we too are to be more than conquerors for the Lord Jesus Christ. George Washington came to the Brandywine Creek as he had been marching along 
When they crossed the stream, they would always burn the bridge behind them and keep on moving. He came to Brandywine Creek across which the enemy was entrenched more deeply than ever before. And one of George Washington's aides came to him and they said, we've been burning the bridges as we march along and as we move ahead, but now, sir, the enemy is at its strongest point. Sir, if we cross the bridge and burn it and then have to beat a hasty retreat, our flank will suffer great loss while rebuilding the bridge. Sir, please, can we leave the bridge? George Washington said, sir, burn the bridge. From here on out, it's victory or it's death. And sometimes in our lives as Christians, we have to come to the point in our life where we're willing to burn the bridges behind us and go on in faith and trust the Lord Jesus Christ and depend totally upon Him. Hebrews 10 and verse 38 says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. God has no pleasure when we draw back. He has no pleasure when we give up. He has no pleasure when we quit doing what He's asked us to do. So we see the military regiment. We see the mutiny recorded. Thirdly, I want you to notice the malady revealed, the malady or the sickness or the illness that that is revealed. It is manifested in weakened convictions. Weakened convictions. You see, convictions that are lightly held are easily surrendered. If you'll look at verse number 8 with me of our text, it says, And might not be as their fathers... A stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. First of all, their heart was weak. They set not their heart aright, he says. Weapons of war are of little value in the hands of men and women who are weak of heart. Their heart was weak. We're like Ezra, of whom it is recorded in Ezra 7.10. It says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statues and judgments. And so first of all, they had a weak heart. Secondly, their spirit was weak. He goes on in verse number 8 and he says, And whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Their spirit was weak. They were not steadfast. They were not faithful. Well, one of the things that I've learned through the years as a pastor is, and you've probably heard it many times, the greatest ability is dependability. And one of the greatest things you and I can do is just to be faithful to whatever it is that God's called us to do. These men, their spirit was weak. They were not faithful. And then verse 10 tells us not only their heart was weak, their spirit was weak, their will was weak. Verse 10 says they kept not the covenant of God. Covenant keeping is an act of the will. And so their will was weak. And then verse 10 tells us their feet was weak. He goes on and says, and refused to walk in his law. Weak-hearted, weak-spirited, weak-willed, and consequently weak feet. And that's why oftentimes we do not have separation and soul winning among the people of God. How much better it is for us to say like David did in Psalm 119 verse 59. He said, I turn my feet unto thy testimonies. Could I ask you this morning... In what direction are your feet turned? Are they turned towards the Lord? Are they turned towards the principles of the Word of God? And then also verse 11 tells us their minds were weak. He says in verse number 11, And forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. 
Their mind was weak. That's inexcusable for a soldier of Jesus Christ to forget the works and the wonders of our Lord is evidence of apathy and indifference. And consequently, their mind is weak. It eventually results in the loss of convictions and in the loss of faithfulness to what God's called us to do. The loss of spiritual convictions and moral convictions will almost always end up in cowardice. And consequently, they ended, out, they ended up in the day of war turning back instead of doing what God wanted them to do. The children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the days of battle. And then not only was the malady seen in their weakened convictions, but it was also seen in their wicked conduct. Look at their wicked conduct. He says again in verse 9, they turned back in the warfare. He says, being armed and carrying bows, they turned back in the day of battle. They turned back in the warfare, which means they abandoned the faith. If you read on farther into the chapter, look over at verse 41 with me uh, quickly. He says in verse 41, Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They turned back in their warfare. They abandoned the faith. They turned back in their walk with God. They abandoned the Father. And then in verses 56 and 57 and 58, they turned back in their worship and they abandoned the faith. Look at verse number 56. It says, Ye yet they tempted and provoked the Most High God, and kept not his testimonies, but turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow, for they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. They turned back in their worship and they abandoned the faith. The worship and the walk and the warfare of the Christian are inseparably connected. Cowardice in warfare and carnality in our walk with God causes us consequently to cease in our worship with God. Therefore, the direction of one that is so inclined is backward and not forward. We tend to turn back. They turn back in the day of battle. God wants us as soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ not to turn back, but to go forward and to be faithful in the cause of Christ. His name was George Greenfell. He was born in Cornwall, England in 1849. At 25, George Greenfell enlisted in the London Missionary Society to go to the Congo and to plant churches up the Congo River. He left in 1874 and he took with him four it took him four years just to get to the mouth of the Congo. We're so blessed today with all of our modern trans tra transportation and technology that we have. Missionaries years, years ago were, were pioneers, and sometimes it took them months. It took him four years just to get to the mouth of the Congo. But George Greenfield didn't give up. After two years, he journeyed. He was only as far as the Cameroon Islands when his wife died. But he didn't quit. He finally went on a year later remarrying, and he arrived in 1878 at the mouth of the Congo River. Then he began the long journey up the river to plant churches. When he arrived at the mouth of the Congo, he couldn't get up the river because of the dense jungle. He splashed through swamps and he said in his diary that the, the grass was oftentimes 15 feet high. He was often attacked by beasts and savages, but he did not quit. He made the very little progress the first year that he was there. And finally, he went back to England, but not to quit. He went back to England to build a ship. He designed a boat 78 feet long, a steamship, 
and he supervised the building of that ship. It was launched on the Thames River and proved to be what he wanted and what he needed. It then was dismantled and placed in 800 crates. Along with his other paraphernalia, they said that he had 1,000 crates to go back to the Congo. They were loaded aboard a ship, and two years later, they arrived at the mouth of the Congo. Because of the shallow water and the shoals, they couldn't get the ship up the river. And so the ship's crew just unloaded the thousand crates on the banks of the Congo River and left him stranded. But he did not quit. He prayed to God, and God enabled him to enlist a thousand nationals. And over a period of six months, they transported those thousand crates up above the shoals to where the boat could float once it was reassembled. And then he began to oversee the reassembling of the boat. Within one month, the young engineer that he had brought with him to supervise the work died. Promptly other engineers were sent for and and George Whitfield got others to come help him, uh, George Greenfeld, to put together the, the ship. Six months later, two other engineers arrived and within four months, both of them died. The boat was not yet completed. George Greenfeld in his diary said that he literally prayed the boat together. Finally, he got it together, put the boat on the Congo River They set out on their first journey with the SS Peace. He said in his diary, The rocks knocked three holes in the boat as we were fleeing from cannibals. We were attacked by natives 20 different times. We were stoned, shot at with spears and arrows more times than we can count. But George Greenfeld did not quit. By patient persistence, he went on. He established station after station along the Congo River. In 1884, Seven of his missionary colleagues died, but George Greenfeld did not quit. He kept right on going. In 1884, four more died. In 1887, six more died in five months' time, but George Greenfeld kept on going. A year after his first wife died, he remarried. He had other children. The time came when along the banks of the Congo, George Greenfeld dropped anchor just long enough to dig a hole in the earth and plant the body of a precious child. But he didn't quit. He went along farther and it wasn't long until he planted the body of a second child. But he didn't quit. He went on and planted the body of a third child and then later the body of a fourth child, but he did not quit. In his diary, he said this. He said, as I look back, the graves of my children are like mile markers along the sands of the Congo River, but George Greenfeld did not quit. News back in London was received of the high price that was being paid for missionary effort there, and so the board got together, and they made a decision that they would close the Congo field. When George Greenfeld got the word that they'd closed his field, He wrote back to them this letter. He said, it is either advance or retreat, as I understand it, sirs. But if it is retreat, you must not count on me. I will be no party to it. And George Greenfell went right on. In 1905, he wrote in his diary, just 21 years ago, I came to the foot of this cliff where I'm writing this letter today. The natives drove me off with their spears and their arrows Today, as I sailed into port, they welcomed me as they sang, All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. On July the 1st, 1906, far, far up the Congo River, there was a group of natives seen digging a hole in the sand. Crowd had gathered together of weeping natives 
For George Greenfield had dropped anchor for the last time. His dying words were, Jesus is mine. Today, George Greenfield is honored in the British Maritime Museum in London, England as the first man to ever sail up the Congo River. And how did he do it? He did it because he would not quit. Amy Carmichael wrote these words, Oh God, keep me from turning back. The handles of my plow are wet with tears. The shears with rust are worn. And yet, and yet, my God, my God, keep me from turning back. I remember during my college days, one of the poems that I heard that I'd never forgotten stuck with me through the years, said, when things go wrong as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is queer with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns, and many a failure turns about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with just another blow. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And you never can tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when you're hardest hit. It's when things seem worse that you must not quit. George Greenfeld did not quit. The children of Israel, the children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. May that not be our epitaph on our tombstone. Amen. May that not ever be said of any of us. I remember one year when I was at Tennessee Temple, I worked in a department store in the toy department. And... At Christmas time, after Christmas, the sales were way down, and so I got laid off. As I said, I had five of my family in college at one time. I didn't have the money to pay my school bill the next year. I remember going to see Dr. Robertson and telling him I didn't have enough money to come back next semester. Dr. Robertson was a skilled man at making you, he knew how to respond to you. And when I left his office that day, I think I could have gone out, Brother Weaver, under the door without even opening it. He said, Tim, you'll never be back. You're never coming. And, you know, he, he talk, talked rather harshly to me. But in my mind, I'm thinking, I'll show him. I'll be back. He knew exactly what he was doing. And I went home for a semester and worked in a, in a department store in Wheaton, Maryland. And at the end of that, that semester, long story, but I was elevated to the, to the, they wanted me to become the manager of our department. And, and they offered me a percentage of the sales and so forth. And. And I had to make a decision, but I remembered those words of Dr. Robertson, you'll never be back. And I told my boss, I said, I can't stay. I've got to go back. And I went back to college, and the Lord gave me a job working with American National Bank that paid my school bill and enabled me to, to go through and finish college. God provided and God took care of it. There are, there are times, sometimes you have to rest, but you don't quit. Amen. You keep going. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle.